0: Hunting a Killer is a fictional story recorded in chronological order. If you have not listened to the previous episodes, please go back and start from the beginning. We'll be here waiting for you.
1: studio having a day off is rare even on my days off the case I'm working on still lingers on my mind but today I'm going to try my hardest to enjoy this day with a clear mind it's beautiful out today the Sun is shining The city is alive with commotion. I have my cup of coffee, which I could never go a day without. And one of my favorite songs just came on the radio. Kip Moore. This guy is great. As much as I love the city, I dream of a day where I could live in the country. Peace and quiet. Maybe have a husband. A few kids. single life has been fun, living it up in the city as much as I could. My life revolving around work, nonstop, But I feel like I'm missing something. Oh, there's a text. Detective Allen. Morning, boss. Hey. How are you? Mm-hmm. Just checking to see if you'd like to get the Chucky movie marathon started tonight. Wow. I don't think your timing could have been more perfect. Awesome. Why don't we watch it at my place? I have a big screen TV and it feels like a movie theater. That sounds perfect. Cool. Can't wait. Anyways, I hate to bother you on your day off, but we got another Listening Friends of America package and I think you should see this. Mmm. Work. On my day off. It's okay. Considering I've been doing this for years, I'm used to my days off, being interrupted with cases I'm working on. Can't wait to see what we got.
0: Circular Logic Studios presents... Corrupted Production
1: LFOA welcoming letter. Hmm. On the inventory sheet, it states that this is a curious design in the footer. New stationery? Whatever it means, it is out of my hands. Oh, this welcoming letter reads, Dear listening friend, as we continue to build towards a bright and productive future, let's not forget our roots. We all start somewhere, and it's important to remember that. Without hard work, we can never know what it feels like to succeed. There is a joy that comes out of the end of a struggle, I think. So keep your friends in mind when you struggle too. They may have had it worse than you ever did. The best thing we can do for each other is trust one another. I read in a fortune cookie once that it is more shameful to distrust our friends than to be deceived by them. Keep faith in what you do, because your trust means everything to your friend. Listen well, your friend believes in you. Sincerely, Jacob Nilsen, Vice President, Head of Darlington Operations, Listening Friends of America. The tone of this letter strikes me as strange. This doesn't sound like the typical letters from Jacob Nielsen. The wording he uses reminds me a lot of John William James. It is very sophisticated, much like John Williams James's letters are. Could John William James be writing these? One very important detail of this message that I must bring up, the bottom of the letter in very fine print is the alphabet with corresponding numbers next to it. However, some of the letters share the same numbers. For example, A equals 3 B equals 6 C equals 2 D equals 3, E equals 1, and so on. There are no patterns with the alphabet-numeric combinations that I have seen, nor can Detective Allen and I put this all together and solve it. This is going to take some time on our part to figure out what this means. It's obviously some type of hidden message, but it's a damn good hidden message. And being that today was supposed to be my day off, my brain isn't functioning in work mode just yet. I have no doubt that we will solve this though.
0: I felt bad having Special Agent Jess come in on her rare day off, but hey, now I get to spend more time with her, and she's looking smoking hot today, but she's my boss. I keep forgetting that. Behave, Detective. Behave. Now, let's refocus on John William James' most recent correspondence. This time, it's long-winded and full of insight concerning his past. My dearest friend, do you know what it is like to live here? Day after excruciating day, I roam this compound like a marauder of ideas. Alas, the local villagers have let their fields grow barren. Meanwhile, in the world out beyond the fences, men and women of varying degrees of character and success, make no mistake, discover and create every day. That is your world. The only respite I find in this trudging routine is my monthly commune with you. Clicking and clacking, remember? This ritual of ours I would not give up for the world. I do not think I should ever have to. If you vacate my joys, I now vow. no, I'll numb my joy, my onus. I will forget how to be. Because I would have our relationship continue forever, I think it is only fair that you learn a bit more about me. I believe I have mentioned my mother in a previous letter. That was not my proudest moment, no. But I believe you deserve to know more, least of all because I brought her up in the first place. She was a hard-working woman, my mother. Without her example, I would never have understood the connection between difficulty and caring, between pain and kindness. She inspired me in the way that I hope I will inspire others. The day my mother died, back in the 70s, My father had been particularly hard on us. Our crops had not done well as he had wished and the livestock were sick, spooked, or missing. I believe he knew that our farm was falling apart. His solution to combat his frustration was the same as it had always been. He took to beating my mother. If I got in the way, he beat me too. The most frightening part of that day was during the morning when my father started. His shouts echoed in the halls like frenzied horns in an orchestra. Then came the snare drum at regular intervals, then the timpani. I walked into the kitchen and saw my father like a mad conductor, my mother in the pit beneath him. When he turned to face me is when I met fear and anger for the first time in my adult life. I attacked him, and though I was grown, he was still the larger man, and he with little effort struck me down. My mother protested as he continued to demonstrate his dominance. At the intermission, I sulked back to my bedroom and waited for the next symphony. When he died, my father left me clinging to chaos. I'm on unknown, ill-combed bogs. He now jumps upon copper buoys. Copper buoys in, I imagine, a lake of fire. My father is now not unlike Perillo, riding his brazen bull. At least, that is my hope. But who can deduce the truth of such things? Always, John William James. Let's start from the beginning. It's clear John gets a particular sense of pleasure from communicating with us. I would assume he's unaware his letters are being read by the FBI, but again, John is intuitive. His passage If you vacate my joys, I now vow. No, I'll numb my joy, my onus. This appears to be a thinly veiled threat against us should communication cease. Next, John goes into a long rant about his mother, a woman that by all appearances, He loved and respected dearly. He describes a fairly haunting exchange between his father and mother. To be honest, it's a downright awful example of a domestic dispute. As in previous exchanges, John mentions a farm, how his family farm was failing, and his father took out his frustration on beating on his mother and John himself. He talks about the day his mother died from, presumably, a beating by his father. He attempted to intervene, but was struck aside by his dad, who was a much larger man. Reluctantly, John William James retreats and continues to hear the beatings occur in intervals. After some time, his mother died from the injuries she sustained that day. Witnessing this violence would have a profound impact on anyone, This incident has likely shaped John more than any other event, I would guess. I have a hard time believing in everything John says. I believe he tries to play us like a fiddle while weaving his devilish schemes in plain sight. However, I could be wrong, but that's just my hunch. He ends his correspondence by explaining upon his father's death, his life was in chaos. He clearly believes his father went to hell and burn like Prilos in his brazen bull. Who's Prilos, you ask? Yet again, another reference to ancient Greece? Surprise, surprise. A man named Prilo designed a torture and execution device made of bronze in the form and size of an actual bull with a door on one side. The device had an acoustic apparatus that converted screams of a person into the sound of a bull. Why screams, you may ask? Because a fire was set underneath it, heating the metal until the person locked inside was roasted to death. Perillo constructed the horrible trap for a rival, but himself was in fact tricked inside the bull. Perhaps this type of future is what awaits John, or perhaps I'm a terrible judge of his character. The next item for review is another old letter from this mysterious Heather. You may remember her from our last package from Listening Friends of America. The Inspector Inventory Sheet notes, It appears Heather was quite attached to Mr. James, though it seems she began to loose it at the end. I think it's interesting the word is loose and not lose. Maybe it means something, maybe not. Let's examine this latest memo from Heather. Again, the paper is blue, with palm tree borders around the margins. Dear John, I hope you've enjoyed my progress. No one knows it was me. No one but you, I mean. Do you like it? Little smiley face. I'm waiting for you at the first obelisk at noon every day. I'm staying at a motel not far away. There's an internet cafe nearby. They only have white paper for printing, so I had to bring my own. I can't wait to get on your boat and sail away. This world isn't right for us, is it? No, it's people like us who need to lead the way. We provide the direction for everyone else, isn't that right? And where we go is across the sticks, isn't it? I heard that they stopped looking for me back home. I burned all my old IDs. I'm ready. I'm ready to start a new life with you. The only life I was ever meant to have. Love, Heather P.S. The guy who runs the place was a little upset with me when I switched out his paper for mine in the printer. That's nothing to get upset about. I think there might be one more before we go. There are many, many things that arose my curiosity within this letter. Have you enjoyed my progress? Is she referencing murder? She says I'm waiting for you at the first obelisk at noon every day. She then mentions that John has a boat, and she can't wait to leave with him. She also clearly uses the word sticks. S-T-Y-X. Which makes me think of the band Sticks. You may remember them from the late 1970s and early 80s for hits such as Lady, Babe, The Best of Times, Mr. Roboto, and Come Sail Away. I believe the Come Sail Away song is why Heather used the sticks remark. And you don't hear the word obelisk very much. Remember, that's a tall structure used as a landmark. Both John and Heather use the word obelisk in their writings. Surely, this cannot be a coincidence. And remember, we received the Concord Point Lighthouse postcard. That's an obelisk, and it's the first obelisk in the Chesapeake Bay, just as Heather recalled. The inspector comment for the lighthouse was all roads lead here. I believe this lighthouse to be the location that Heather and John met or were supposed to meet at. I'm not completely sure at this point, but I firmly believe this is a meet-up point. A lighthouse is, of course, at water's edge. This lighthouse is upon the shores of the Chesapeake Bay, ...at the mouth of the Susquehanna River. Probably easy access to boating opportunities... ...as the bay is abundant with commercial shipping and leisure boating. Heather notes as well that she destroyed her IDs... ...and they stopped looking for me back home. And there may be one more before I go. Another what? Homicide? Hmm. I don't know. However... I think it's clearly time to take a short day drive and visit the Concord Point Lighthouse. It's 65 miles from our Philadelphia FBI office, which is about an hour and 12 minutes away. My gut instinct tells me to see this obelisk in person and search the surrounding area to see what else I can find. I plan on getting there around noon in case this Heather should still be roaming the area. I should have plenty of time to get down to Maryland and back up to Philly for Jess and I's Chucky Movie Marathon tonight. That should be fun.
1: The next thing that arrived was Mrs. James' prayer card. This is a touching subject for me, being that I lost my mother at such a young age. It breaks my heart whenever someone loses their mother. Even more so, the fact that Mrs. James was only 37 at the time of her death, just a few short weeks shy of her 38th birthday. 37, that is extremely young for anyone. The prayer card, Itself reads, in memoriam Mary Beth Anna James, caring mother and loving wife, December tenth, nineteen thirty eight to November twenty fifth, nineteen seventy six. Grace in Faith Center for Fellowship and Worship, which is in Pestle, Ohio. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Pestle, Pestle, Ohio. Anyways, there's a few Bible scriptures on here. One is, he said, Haked, I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. It's from Job one twenty one. Next one. For we brought nothing into the world, and neither can we carry anything out of it. And that is from 1 Timothy 6.7. I believe some numbers may have been cut off of that. The next one is, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uniformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. It's 1 Thessalonians 4.13. On this day, we remember that we hold each other in love and faith in our community and our family. This poor woman what really happened to her the next thing I'm going to go over is this little lock it kinda looks like a little luggage lock perhaps either way it's a small black lock locked of course which requires a three-digit numeric code to unlock the inventory sheet for this item reads How does one open a lock without a combination? Uh, bolt cutters maybe? Okay. In all seriousness though, there has to be a secret combination somewhere. So of course, I became determined to crack this and open this lock. I tried 161, 618, 000, among many others, seriously, I tried. Then. While I was staring at the prayer card, I realized the Bible verses have numbers after them. Could one of these be it? So I tried them. 1.21 for Job. Timothy only had 6 and 7, so I couldn't really use that one. The last one was 4.13 for the Thessalonians. Bingo. The lock unlocked. I felt relief. But now what? What is the significance of 413? It's not as if I unlocked the lock and I won an award. I'm still in the same spot, with now three numbers that obviously have some significance. But what? 413. 413. There were numbers and letters at the bottom of Jacob Nielsen's letter. Could this be it? Four corresponded with the letters I, K, and T. One corresponded with the letters E L and R. Three corresponded with the letters A, H, and D. So we have I, K, T, E, L, R, A, H, and D. I don't have anything else with this yet. We're going to have to work on this. Another, might I add, adorable item we have received is this tiny, little, glass pig. Which, pigs are my favorite animal, so I think it's kind of cute. It appears to be a bead. It has two holes on it, as if a string or a small wire for a bracelet, or necklace chain perhaps, would pass through it. It's clear, with blue only around the middle, inside, where a string would pass through. I have no idea what this signifies, but it is so cute. I also would like to point out that this little pig is not on the inventory sheet. Where did it come from? Who wanted us to have this? And why?
0: I've traveled down to Maryland to check out the Concord Point Lighthouse to see if there are any clues here. Guess you could call it a another field trip. And I have to say, the lighthouse is nice. It's pretty much what you would expect. It's tall. Yep. Way up there. It has black and white painting, kind of swirling down as is typical for these structures. I found myself a nice little bench here to sit at. I'm facing out at the Chesapeake Bay, and it's a wonderful day here. This area is full of excitement. There's lots of joggers, people walking their pets, and plenty of boats out on the water. I wanted to see this area in person, because I couldn't quite understand the importance of this lighthouse postcard we received a couple packages ago. But if you remember the inspector's notes said all roads lead here, Got me thinking. I pulled out a map of the area and began looking at my surroundings. I've always been a big map fan. I love geography and getting a feel for the lay of the land. Now, I'm in Havard de Grace, Maryland. That's near the north part of the bay. I circle this location. So where exactly have all the murders we know of taken place? Well, one obviously is Weiss Island, Pennsylvania. I make a dot there. That's where Lillian Grayson's body was discovered. That's about 37 miles from here. Roughly an hour's drive. Now, Lloyd McGowan. The news article on him only stated Clifton. No state. He was born in Albany, New York. And Clifton is a small town north of the city. I'm going to go out on a limb. and guess this is the most likely spot he would settle down. Considering his ties to New York I draw a small dot on Clifton, New York John William James says he was raised in the tiny town of Cecile, Ohio indeed, it is a mere spot on the map so I draw another small dot on my map for Cecile remember that photocopy of the news clippings we received right now I'm going to assume those are from Heather and or John William James If so, then those clippings reveal another three potential murders. These were the series of murders with the same liver injuries, leading us to believe that the same person killed each victim. The M.O. is too specific to be random. One of those bodies was found way out in Me Man Shelby Park in western Tennessee. This is the farthest distance away from our quote-unquote epicenter of Maryland. The next murder was in Indian Head, Maryland. That's actually about an hour south of Washington, D.C. I draw another small dot, and a pattern is beginning to emerge before my eyes. Quickly, I scan the map looking for that third murder location. Highland Village, Maryland. I make another small dot on the map. I believe this to be the possible murder Heather described in her first memo to John William James. The boy she said that she may cut out his tongue and such. I scan the dots I've drawn on the map. I begin to connect the dots with lines and there it is. The outline of an arrow. All the connected dots and lines meet here at the Concord Point Lighthouse. This must be a very important place in our case. Indeed, all roads lead to Havar de Grace, Maryland. Now, you know, there's a small arena off to my left about 10 o'clock, it's called the Penn's Beach Marina. Heather mentions in her last memo about meeting John William James at a marina. Could this be the spot? Has to be. This could be the very bench Heather and John may have sat and talked about their plans. I wonder what made this particular location so very significant.
1: Another very strange item that we received is what looks like a printed out email. This also was not on the inventory sheet. It appears to be communication between Jacob Nilsen and Valerie Madsen, George's wife. Although there was no response from Jacob. It reads, Dear Jacob, I'm sorry to bother you. George was always so busy and I can imagine you inherited a lot when you had to step into his shoes. Do you remember me? I was wearing a pink dress when we met at the holiday luncheon a while back. I got your email from his address book. I hope that's not a problem. Okay, I'm going to cut to the chase. I still haven't heard anything from George. The police are saying he's either left and doesn't want to be found, or they even told me that there's a chance he might be dead. I don't think he would just leave without telling me. I know him better than that. Was he taken? Who would want to hurt George? All he ever did was work hard and provide for his family. I don't know what to think. I don't know what to tell Noah. He's still so young and he misses his father very much. So do I. I don't even know if you two were close, but I need to talk to everyone who might know something. The police haven't told me in so many words, but I know they're giving up. Nothing they can do. But I can do something, can't I? Mustn't I? Has he reached out to you or anyone else at the office at all? Do you have any idea where he might have gone? Was he involved in anything he wouldn't want me to know about? Was there another woman? I know there's a lot I'm asking and you probably don't have the answers for everything. And I know I seem desperate. Well, I am. Please get back to me. Even if you don't have any answers, I just want to feel like someone cares. Sincerely, Val Madsen. Wow. She sounds like a very desperate, distraught wife. She has a young son and she wants to find her husband. I get it. I'd probably be the same way. The second part of the email says, Jacob, I know it hasn't been long, but I want to tell you I found something. It looks like George was doing some work on the side because I found a file full of documents that look like they have something to do with Listening Friends of America and the compound in Darlington in the study. As soon as I get some time alone, I'm going to go through it closely. There might not be anything important, but it might be the closest I can get to my husband right now. Anyways, I'll let you go. I just had to tell you. I'm a little apprehensive, but I'm excited too. I want to be close to George again. Val. She for sure misses her husband. But has George been a part of something rather shady? What study is she speaking of? I decided to send an email to Valerie. I'm hoping for a reply. We now know that Noah is George and Val Madsen's son from Val's email. But curiously, Another item included in this package was a small slip of folded-up paper with what appears to be a young child's handwriting on it. It reads,
0: Miss you, Dad. Please come home soon, Noah.
1: It's so cute, full of misspelled words, but also very sad because this boy's father is missing. The small note from Noah was placed in a plastic bag with the initials J.N., written in marker at the bottom. Obviously, Jacob Nelson comes to mind. But why on earth would Jacob Nelson be hiding this or sending this to us? Or Val Madsen's email copies, for that matter. And none of these items are listed on Jacob Nelson's inventory sheet report either. It doesn't add up.
0: I'd be lying if I didn't admit I feel we are in a sort of holding pattern in our case again. Each package we receive opens more doors and creates new leads to follow. With that said, I think we're turning the corner. I truly believe that we are at the cusp of some real movement. There just has to be. Whether it's this Heather person or John William James, something has got to give. Either way, I know Special Agent Jess and I will stay the course. Speaking of that, I'm on my way back to the Philadelphia area from Maryland. You might think I'm driving a black SUV with black tinted windows, but alas, I just have a plain Jeep SUV. Not everybody in the FBI gets the slick looking rides. Hiding in plain sight can be your best bet every now and then. You know, I admit that I'm looking forward to seeing Special Agent Jess outside of the stressful work environment. She's a great boss and a good friend. She's smart, quirky, and driven. It's a wonder that she's still single. She's a special girl for sure. Looks like I'm on schedule to get back early and get a shower in before she comes over for the child to play movies. I can't believe I'm actually going to watch these. I generally don't do horror films But it will be good to get in some relaxation and fun tonight. Because like I said earlier, I have this gut feeling things are about to heat up. This has been a Circular Logic Studios presentation. Hunting a Killer is produced, written, and performed by Phil and Jessica Allen. Editing by Phil Allen. Based on Hunt a Killer.